Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash I am divine 2022. Serving spiritual seekers around the world. Unity Online Radio. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, offering insights and practices for spiritually conscious living today with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien from the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California. To ask questions or join in the discussion, email us at theyogahour at unityonlineradio.org. Now, here's your host, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. Good morning and welcome to the Yoga Hour, a time to open our hearts and minds to the infinite. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, sitting in for Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien while she's away. Today I'll be sharing some insights and time-tested practices from the ancient system of Kriya Yoga. While yoga is a familiar term to many today, most associated with exercise, yoga is actually a Sanskrit word that means oneness, union, or unity, the bringing together of our attention and awareness with our essential spiritual nature to be restored to our original wholeness. Yoga is a wide system, including philosophy and practice for spiritually conscious, fulfilled living in today's world. Today, our topic is divine love and transformation. What forms the common core at the center of all faith traditions? And why is discovering this common core so important today in our divided world? In yogic philosophy, divine love, joy, and bliss are our birthright. Today, we'll explore the divine love that is found within the mystical paths of all faiths and its transformative potential. My guest today is William Keepen, Ph.D., author of the book, Belonging to God, Spirituality, Science, and the Universal Path of Divine Love. Will is a mathematical physicist, social activist, and leader in interfaith spiritual practice, as well as a practitioner on the path of divine love for 35 years. Also trained in transpersonal psychology, he co-founded the Satyana Institute and Gender Reconciliation International with his wife, Reverend Cynthia Briggs. He conducts trainings, contemplative retreats, and workshops, both nationally and internationally. You can find out more about his book at the website pathofdivinelove.com. Again, pathofdivinelove.com. Welcome, Will Keep, and I'm delighted that you could join us today on the Yoga Hour. Thank you so much, Lori. It's a privilege to be here. Before we begin our conversation about divine love and transformation, let's begin with a moment of meditation. Let's start by turning our attention within. Our breath is a wonderful tool to help us bring our attention and awareness to the present, wherever we are and whatever we're doing. So let's start by taking a fully conscious breath, just noticing as we inhale and exhale, not trying to change the breath, just noticing its natural flow. 
cool air entering the nostrils and warm air flowing out. In this moment, we can dive within and open our heart to the divine and to the divine love that is the essence of our being. This one reality, called by many names, is the support and substance of all that is. Right where we are, right here and now, this divine essence is present. As you, as me, as everyone. It's within us, between us, and all around us. Just by being present now and noticing, we can rest in this essence of our being. We notice thoughts and feelings as they arise and as they pass away. We become aware of our essential nature beyond words and thoughts, beyond all change, beyond thought and sensation, pure existence being. We feel the peace that emanates from the essence of our being. We allow it to pervade the mental field, the emotional nature, and the physical body. We abide in this peace and let it overflow as blessing for all beings everywhere. Once again, we'll keep in welcome to the Yoga Hour. Thank you so much, Lori. Your book is about the common core of divine love at the center of all of the faith traditions. So what led you to write this book now? Well, there are really two factors. One is really the path of love, which is so, in some ways, underemphasized in comparison sometimes in kind of contemporary spiritual circles in comparison to non-dual paths like Advaita Vedanta or uh, some of the Buddhist paths. And I wanted to really articulate the reality that the path of love is also a path of non-dual realization of God. And in some ways, the path of love has sometimes been seen as kind of um, a lesser pathway because it's, it's perceived as inherently dualistic because it starts from a place of worship of a sacred object. And so there's a sense of duality that's inherent in the path, um, which is not correct. The path leads to a union with God as it makes it very clear. For example, in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna is very clear that through the power of love, you come to unite with me, Krishna, unite with God and become one with God. This is true across the traditions. And even in the Islamic tradition, where the idea of the human and God being, you know, incommensurably separate, and yet the nearness to God becomes thin to vanishing in the in the Islamic understanding. So right. I felt that it was very important to articulate that. And the second so we, reason is... Yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, just the second reason is very simple. There is so much critique of religion out there today, particularly in the West, and a dismissal of religion and a focus on the dumbest and dimmest aspects, if you will. So I wanted to write a book that highlights the, the brightest and best elements of of the spiritual and particularly the theistic traditions to really highlight the profundity of the path of the heart that shines at the core of these traditions. Well, that's that's really lovely. So divine love that we've been, this term we've been using, it's kind of a vague term that is definitely understood differently by different people. So how do you define divine love? 
Divine love means the power of the heart, the power of love that rests in the heart, and working with that as the fundamental fuel of one's spiritual impulse and spiritual life. And you're right, it means different things to different people, and that's part of why I wanted to also write the book, is to articulate what is really this path of love that we call. We all know that we need love. We all know that love is such a profound force in the world. Um, We are all inspired by the poets like Rumi and other ecstatic poets who speak about this mystery called love. And, of course, as Rumi also says, you know, love cannot be spoken about and it cannot be understood. All the great mystics say this is something that cannot be understood with the mind. It has to be entered into from the heart. For me, the way I understand it is that there is this power of love in the heart and it has a transformative power to propel the devotee right through the dead center of the ego and into the union with the absolute supreme reality that we call God or Brahma. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's a very profound path, and it, in, it, it entails the self-giving, both in terms of practice, in terms of spiritual practice, as well as in terms of service to the world. And I feel like that combination and that balance is something that's so urgently needed in our time. You did that was just beautifully, beautifully said. So the title of your book is Belonging to God. So what does it mean to belong to God? Well, it was a very interesting uh, debate that I had for some period about whether to choose that title. Um, because I had other titles, you know, you know, Becoming the Beloved, Becoming One with the Beloved. I chose to Belonging to God because uh, what happens as one engages in this practice is that one first begins with a kind of devotion to God as some other. And God's out there, and I'm here, and I am basically recognizing this other, and so I give myself in devotion and service. And then what happens in the deeper uh, dimensions of mystical prayer and practice is that one discovers that other within the depths of oneself. Mm-hmm. And so then one realizes that God is in me, or as the Gita says so beautifully, you know, to, to quote the Bhagavad Gita, where Krishna says that, All of creation is in the Atman, and the Atman is in all of creation. So -hmm. there is this discovery that that which I am worshipping outside myself actually dwells within the depth of me, and that all of creation is somehow contained in that infinite mystery within. Mm-hmm. And when that is realized, then one realizes that one has always been part of this divine mystery that we call God, that everything is part of God, and that I not only am part of God, but I actually belong there. That's my fundamental identity. That's who I actually am inwardly. Right. Now, that's not hubris saying, I am God in that, same, mm-hmm. in that sense. It is saying that the depth of my inner essence is one with the essence of the transcendent Godhead. There's no separation whatsoever. Right. No, indeed. You know, not I am God, the ego I am God. That's not, that's not the direction at all, but the rather not the, deeper, <laughs> the deeper, um, you know, path that you point to. So I really liked the two quotes that you use at the beginning of the introduction to your book. Uh, one from uh, Mahatma Gandhi, uh, which is, which is shorter. I'll start with that one. It says, uh, I am a Muslim, a Hindu, a Christian, and a Jew. And so are all of you. And then the other quote was from Rumi, I am neither Christian, nor Jew, nor Zoroastrian, nor Muslim. I am not of the East, nor of the West, nor of the land, nor of the sea. My place is the placeless. My trace is the traceless. Tis neither body nor soul, for I belong to the soul of the beloved. I have put duality away. I have seen that the two worlds are one. I know none other except God. So I think both of these quotes are just so beautiful and so thought-provoking and point to the difficulty, as you alluded to earlier, of speaking about God or supreme consciousness, which is beyond words and thoughts. So here we have two self-realized people, Gandhi and Rumi, talking about God in absolutely opposite ways. Uh, Gandhi, I am all religions, and Rumi, I am no religions, and yet they both are pointing to the same thing. 
So um, that's, I, that's I just thought it was a spoke. lovely. <laughs> I just thought it was a lovely way for you to begin begin the book. Um, this is a, such a time of conflict between religions in the world. So I found your book, um, which focuses on the common ground at the mystical core of Hinduism, Islam, and Christianity, to be really refreshing. And one of the things you mentioned, you talk about the Snowmass Interreligious Conference, which is convened by Father Thomas Keating and happens annually and has been happening annually for more than 30 years now. Um, and I, I really enjoyed reading about the eight points of agreement about God. Um, mm-hmm. that, 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 this is an interreligious group, you know, that, um, looked at all of their traditions and was able to come up with the remarkable, you know, list of these eight, you know, points. Um, so we only have a, about another minute or two, um, before the break. So, um, let's just, let's just briefly address the term God. <laughs> Because sometimes that carries a lot of baggage for people who may have had negative experiences with religion in the past. So it's nice to begin our discussion by understanding that there are many words we could use to describe ultimate reality. And that that no matter what we call it, um, the name is not going to limit this ultimate reality. So how do you deal with that? How do you deal with this issue some people have about the term God? Well, first of all, I acknowledge all of the baggage. And there's plenty of baggage. But, and even for a, a committed atheist, I say, well then, use God as an acronym for the generalized operational dice that are rolled in each moment of cosmic evolution. You know, I mean, but the, that's kind of playful. But the bottom line is I'm trying to kind of reclaim a good name for God. And in defining it in terms of those eight principles that you mentioned, I think it's really exquisite because those eight principles find that the world religions bear witness to the experience of an ultimate reality to which they give various names, and that that ultimate reality, as long as we live in separation from that ultimate reality, we live in weakness and suffering, and that the whole purpose of spiritual life is to come into union with that ultimate reality, whatever name we give it. And so we write back to where the Rig Veda is when it said, truth is one, sages call it by different names. And here we are, God is one. God goes by different names in the different traditions. And so the whole point of this book is to reclaim the true meaning of God, which is this supreme ultimate reality that dwells in the core of all of us and is the foundation of our existence. That was just really, really beautifully said. And with that, we're coming to the break. You're listening to The Yoga Hour with guest Will Keepen, author of the book, Belonging to God, Spirituality, Science, and a Universal Path of Divine Love. You can find out more about Will at his website, pathofdivinelove.org. Again, pathofdivinelove is all one word, dot org. We welcome your comments and questions. You can contact us at yogahour at unity.fm. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, sitting in for Yogacharya O'Brien. When we come back from the break, we're going to explore the practice of divine love. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. you like to share the programs that inspire you most with audiences around the world? That's easier than ever with mobile giving. Just text Unity Radio to 72727 and help us continue offering spiritual programs that change lives. We are all on the journey together, making sense of this life, finding our spirituality, growing and evolving. As we travel through this world, Unity Magazine is your resource for gaining a deeper understanding of life. Unity Magazine is on the forefront of spiritual discovery, with articles and features from leading authors, teachers, and philosophers. Stimulate your thinking and strengthen your spirituality with Unity Magazine. Sample a free trial issue or subscribe today at unitymagazine.org. Ever 
ever notice how the funniest things happen when we stop taking ourselves too seriously and step out boldly? Listen to Funniest Thing with Daryl and Ed as these unlikely saints administer a refreshing dose of laughter and love that will inspire you to step out boldly and experience the funniest things. Join the discussion with Daryl and Ed live every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Central Time on Funniest Thing, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. This Christmas, recall the childlike joy of the holidays with The Wonder of Christmas, a new Advent booklet from Unity. Request or download your free booklet today at unity.org slash UOR Advent. The Wonder of Christmas supports your Advent journey with inspirational messages, scripture, uplifting stories, beautiful poems, and more. Download or request your free copy today at unity.org slash UOR Advent. That's unity.org slash UOR Advent. But hurry, Advent begins November 27th. You're listening to the Yoga Hour Living the Eternal Way with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. We now return to the Yoga Hour. Welcome back to the Yoga Hour. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, sitting in for the Yoga Hour's regular host, Yogacharya O'Brien. I'm joined today by Will Keepen, an author, mathematical physicist, social activist, and leader in interfaith spiritual practice, as well as a practitioner on the path of divine love for 35 years. In this segment, we're going to be discussing the practice of divine love. So, Will, I enjoyed the chapter in your book about the three mystics, one from each of the faith traditions that you're examining. Shankara from the Hindu tradition, Ibn Arabi, I believe I'm saying that correctly, from Islam. Yeah, Ibn Arabi. Mm -hmm. Ibn Arabi, from Islam, and Meister Eckhart from the Christian tradition. And you discuss how they provide very similar descriptions of divine realization, including its three stages, the summit of transcendent reality, the ascent to the summit, and the return. So let's take these three stages one at a time. First of all, let's talk about the mystics. So who who are these three? Who who are Shankara, uh, Ibn Arabi, and Meister Eckhart? Well, of course, Shankara is the great um, 8th century uh, mystic of Hinduism who's probably, you know, one of the greatest uh, yeah, expounders of, of the Hindu tradition. He's the one who came up with the four Mahavakyas and really debated the Buddhists very effectively. He died at, I think, age 31 or 32. So he basically kind of uh, re-established Hinduism all across India in those short in his short lifetime. And then uh, Meister Eckhart's the great uh, Christian mystic of the 14th century who um, was one of the greatest Christian mystics of essentially what we would call non-dual Christian mysticism. And his writings are considered widely to be some of the most profound mystical writings in the Christian tradition. And similarly with Ibn Arabi, a great Sufi master who uh, lived in Andalusia, that part of Spain, and also I think 12th century or 13th century in there, and is considered by uh, most Muslims as one of the greatest uh, Muslim scholars uh, and mystics ever, but also was a profound Sufi master. So he was both a a Sufi master and and a leading uh, kind of Muslim theologian. Mm. Um, thanks for that, you know, for that overview. And I, I do think it's wonderful to have these examples of mystics from the three different traditions and then looking at the similarities, um, that which you do in the book. So I really enjoyed the analogy of climbing a mountain as an explanation of how the path to the summit might appear different in the different faith traditions. So would you share that analogy, analogy with our listeners? Yes, so the basic analogy is that you can regard the spiritual paths as each one is like a different face of the same mountain. Um, many people, for example, don't realize that in, in Italy, for example, there's a the mountain, I'm forgetting the name of it, 
but it has a name on the one side. It's escaping me. And if you climb to the top on the other side, it's the Matterhorn, which is in Switzerland. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and so the one mountain is in Italy. The other mountain is in Switzerland. And if you were Swiss, you would think it's a Swiss mountain. And if you were Italian, you would think it's an Italian mountain. And if you only lived in that valley, you would always think of it that way, and it would have those different names. But when you get to the summit, it's one and the same. So that's a bit of a metaphor. Here, uh, if we imagine that each face of the mountain has a Christian face, let's say a Hindu face, an Islamic face, if you're climbing one of those, let's say you know, you're a Muslim and you're climbing the Islamic face of the mountain, even when you're right near the summit, if you look down, you see nothing but an Islamic reality leading all the way to where you are standing and all the temples and the mosques that you can see off into the distance. But when you get to the top, you can suddenly look down the other side and there are all these Hindu temples. And there is a whole Hindu tradition that leads to the same summit. And then you go further and you see another side of the mountain, which you've never seen before, with all the Christian churches with the crosses and everything. So the idea is that each of these religions is a pathway to the same summit of spiritual realization. And yet, even at high levels of realization within one tradition, you wouldn't know that until you actually reach the summit. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, and I just had such a beautiful visual image myself in my mind as you were describing that view from the summit and down the different faces. So you go through many similarities in the descriptions of the summit between these three mystics. So can you share one of those similarities of the description of the summit, you know, that is common between uh, Shankara, um, Ibn Arabi, and Meister Eckhart? Yes, and let me just say that this work, um, the comparison of those three, I am borrowing on, a, on the profound work of, of an interfaith scholar whose name is Reza Shah Kazami, and he wrote a book called Path to Transcendence. I just want to mention that because, and it's a very detailed and I would say dense read, but very profound book, and what I did was to take that and condense his 250-page book into about 30 pages and highlight the really key insights. So one of them is that in this realization, there are three characteristics of this transcendent realization. And in Hinduism, they're described as sat-chit-ananda. Sat meaning the absolute truth or being, and then chit meaning the consciousness or awareness of this truth, and ananda as the supreme bliss in the face of this realization. Mm-hmm. And that what what was found, what is found is that Ibn Arabi also describes this very succinctly. He says that the, the supreme being is the finding of the real in ecstasy, meaning that the kind of supreme realization is the discovering and the realizing the, the truth of this in, in a supreme ecstasy. And then Meister Eckhart says something very similar. He says, I was I was bare being and knower of myself in the supreme enjoyment of truth. Now, each of these are completely different languages, different theologies, different systems, and yet they're all identifying these three qualities of the realization of some exquisite, profound, supreme truth, and then recognizing that they are conscious of that truth. So it's the actual making that truth realizing it in their consciousness, and then the absolute and infinite sweetness. Another way that Meister Eckhart put it was the realization of three qualities, immeasurable power, infinite wisdom, and infinite sweetness. So all of these, of course, are linguistic terms for something that transcends language altogether. But the idea is that as you read in depth from these different mystics, you realize they're all describing a very similar transcendent state of realization. And the feeling that emerges very strongly is that they're, they've actually had the same experience of transcendent realization, and the words and phrases and linguistic categories they're used to describing it reveal that similarity. Mm-hmm. Another another uh, um, similarity that you talk about uh, among the three mystics is how they each describe the role of divine grace in their ascent to the summit. So can you say something about those commonalities, the role of divine grace on their paths? Yes, yes. That basically what they're all saying, and this is really crucial, is that 
in the actual realization there was their contingent dimension was suddenly dissolved and they were taken if you will by some force larger than themselves into this realization so meister eckhart talks about something that he calls the breakthrough to to the godhead and it takes place by god's breakthrough to him there was something in which he was broken into by god and this could only have happened by God. It was a gift of grace from God. Ibn Arabi says, God removed from me my contingent dimension. So basically the idea is that there is something utterly other that comes as a sheer unbidden gift of what can only be called grace. And that that is the, the agency by which the mystic is lifted, if you will, into this supreme realization. And that without that, nothing would have happened. So the very capacity to realize this is itself an act of grace, and it is accomplished, I mean, it's a fact of grace, and it is accomplished by an act of grace. Mm. Yes. So um, the, we've talked so far about um, uh, the summit and then the ascent to the summit. So the third aspect is is the return. So what is one commonality about how each of these mystics viewed the world after their return? Basically, when they come back, first of all, there's a, there's a sense of, although they are now back in the relative world, there's a, an abiding a, a abiding in the consciousness of the absolute there's an awareness that now lives in them and it's it's an, an awareness beyond a conceptual knowing and in that sense their personal self and will are transcended entirely they are identified with a kind of cosmic divine infinite presence and what that does is it deepens their devotion it deepens their sense of praise they basically become a living instrument in their humanity of a constant unceasing prayer to this divine uh, similar to maybe like what saint paul says where he says i live yet not i but christ liveth in me so there's mm-hmm. some absolute infinite principle of god that is now alive and awake in the mystic and and you could say the same that the hindu might say i live yet not i but krishna liveth in me so in this sense that the divine now lives and takes up residence in the human being and so that the absolute dwells in the relative that the infinite dwells within the finite human being and the the human being then walks as an ambassador of the infinite to the relative world Mm, that's just so beautifully said. So thank you for that. Um, the, uh, one of the other things I enjoyed about the book is you do talk about other mystics as well, <clears throat> excuse me, as this, um, the three that we've been discussing. Um, and one of the things that I was reminded of, um, by your description of the return is, um, Brother Lawrence and the practice of the presence of God. Yes. Brother Lawrence very beautifully speaks about how he took this prayer of commitment to follow only the will of God, to never do anything that was, you know, offensive to God. And in that practice of doing that, what happened was there was this indwelling that grew in him, and he became aware of the presence of God living within him, and it became a total ecstatic communion. And when you look at the depths of what Brother Lawrence did, he really was completely aligned with the with with the Hindu mystics in the practice of surrender. It's called property in Hinduism. And there's a, there's five what are called angas, which are the conditions for that, which is to do God's will, to never do anything offensive to God, total trust in God, um, absolute faith, and absolute surrender. And those five pillars are there very deeply reflected in the practice of Brother Lawrence, and I also looked at the Sufi saint, Rabia, the great woman saint of uh, ninth century Sufism, 
and you see that all of these mystics are practicing the very same pillars of the practice and that they come into this profound place of humility and surrender and then by so doing what happens is they their contingent self again is effaced and they are then infused with this divine consciousness or presence that just floods their awareness and drenches them in supreme wisdom and supreme bliss mm. <laughs> Oh, this is just so fun to to be able to you know describe this or at least make these attempts at description of what we've already exactly. talked about as being, <laughs> as being indescribable. Um, so you know you've touched on this now the self surrender um, aspect and that uh, self surrender is one of the three principal practices of kriya, kriya yoga along with self discipline and self study. So okay, you know we've talked we've talked about the self surrender, but why do you think self surrender is so important on the path of divine love? And let us first of all recognize that surrender is a word that has a problematic, you know, kind of associations, and particularly our Western understanding is some kind of humiliating defeat. Mm-hmm. Whereas the true surrender is made as an act of strength and glory, because one recognizes there's something larger, there's something vast and profound that one wants to become part of. And in order to do that, one has to come to a place of relinquishing one's finite self-attachments and identity and allow that supreme principle to become the essence of one's identity. And what what ha- surrender is, therefore, so essential across the path. And one way to think of it is that it is an unconditional consent to allow God to have God's way with one. And so in that unconditional consent, there is, first of all, a recognition of the supreme, infinite preciousness and majesty of this divine being, whether we call it Atman or Allah or or God, regardless of what name we give to it, it is the source of life, it is the infinite uh, sustainer of all, and so it is a joy to then offer ourselves to that infinite oneness, if you will, and to allow it then to have its way with our very core of our being. And when we do that at the deepest level, what happens is there is an intimacy that is supreme intimacy that is born with that infinite. This is the reason for surrender. In the absence of that surrender, there's always a separation. There's a knowledge of God, but there's not the total oneness with God. As Ramakrishna says so beautifully, knowledge of God will get you into the divine courtyard, but only love for God gets you into the divine bedchamber. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. the bedchamber that we want. It's that supreme intimacy, intimacy that we really yearn for. And that is why all the mystics call for this deep surrender, because you do surrender your to beloved. When you are fully and totally in love with someone, you surrender your own life to be totally present for them, because they are everything to you. And your beloved is everything to you, and you want nothing but to serve totally and to give yourself totally, because nothing could fulfill you more than that self-giving. In that level of surrender is born the deepest intimacy of the soul with the very heart of God. Mm, that's just so. We've been talking about self-surrender, and after this glowing description, I think many people are saying, you know, yes, absolutely, I want that, you know, I want that intimacy, but then you come to, it's like, okay, how? <laughs> so, when you teach about self-surrender, you know, in the uh, workshops and all, um, what's one aspect of self-surrender that you encourage your students to practice? Well, it's very important, for example, in meditation, I, I, I encourage silent prayer practice. Uh, two primary practices that I encourage. One is silent prayer and a prayer that's focused on the love in the heart and drowning and dissolving all one's thoughts and, and desires and everything in that larger love within the heart. And that's a love that if you attend to and focus on, it's like a flame, it's like a fire. And with each in-breath, that fire, that breath fans the fire of that love. And over time, that fire begins to burn in you. And as it burns in you, it burns away everything except itself. And so it burns away the desires. And the thoughts can be dissolved in it. It's not that we shouldn't have thoughts. We're not pushing thoughts away. It's that there is a deeper fire of love 
love that burns in the core of one's being, and that is what is to be cultivated. And so the practice of surrender is to, in silent prayer, is to actually focus on that energy, on that fire, and to dwell in that oneness with that that energy of love. And that means to shut up, if you will, the mind, because the mind will come in with all kinds of thoughts, and it's very important to set the mind aside. It's not to put the mind down, but it's to recognize that we tend to follow the, the, the kind of free associations of our mind into the endless distractions, both of the world and of the mental realm, and we need to discipline ourselves to basically silence all of that, to attend to this deeper mystery of that fire of love in the heart. That's the first core practice. And the second one is to use St. Paul's term, pray without ceasing, we need a practical way to stay in prayer every moment. And uh, that, for that, I recommend working with uh, the name of God in whatever form. We began this, this uh, conversation with a chant of Om. And Om is the... It's the seed of God. It actually is Brahman. It's not just the name of Brahman. It's, a, it's very similar, and this is something I wanted to say, that, that Om plays the same role in Hinduism as the Logos does in Christianity. You know, at the beginning of the um, book, John's Gospel, where, where uh, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That word is the Logos. And the, the homeomorphic equivalent, that's kind of the formal term for it, in Hinduism is Om. So you could say in the beginning was Om, and Om was with God, and Om was God. Was God, yes. And Om yes. is God. So the name is the named. This is also one of the key insights from all three mystics, that the name of God actually is a microscopic instantiation of that divine energy to which it points. So it's not just a label. It actually is a fractal miniature droplet of God. So when I repeat the name Om, I am actually vibrating with the very essence of Brahman Nirguna, which is the supreme divine beyond all form. And then it crystallizes into the form of Om, but the form of Om contains the formless. So in the same way, in the Christian Logos, contains the absolute Godhead. Allah contains the Supreme Godhead. These sacred names, then, are something that as we practice them, as we repeat them throughout the day in our minds, that divinity actually comes to us, and we are constantly staying present in that oneness with the divine, even as we move through the world. Mm. Yes, uh, as a, as you were speaking, I was reminded of a quote from Yogananda, um, read a little, meditate more, and think of God all the time. So it really has that, you know, that, um, you know, practice of um, trying to maintain that, you know, awareness of the divine in everything we do. And the, the practices that you just spoke about, the, the, um, meditation or prayer, you know, on divine love in the heart and that aspect of that concentration, um, which is one of the steps of the Eightfold Path of just concentrating on that, returning yes. your attention, returning your attention to that uh, again and again. So when you talk about thoughts, uh, you know, not focusing on your thoughts, it's not that we try and suppress the thoughts. We just try and concentrate on the object of concentration uh, exactly. and ag again and again and again, because as anyone knows who's tried it, it's impossible to extinction to extinguish our thoughts through thinking. <laughs> thinking is not exactly us there. That's it. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. right. And that is why the name, the belonging to God, because what we attend to, we become. So as we continue to attend to that and attend to that and keep returning our attention to that, eventually we are transformed into identity with that to which we attend. And then, in fact, indeed, we belong to God because we are becoming God. And that is why that that is so important, that practice, and it's also why I chose the title of this book, because ultimately what happens is our very identity transforms from belonging to ourselves to belonging to this supreme, majestic, infinite mystery that we call the divine. Mm, yes. 
So in addition to following the path of divine love, you're also a mathematical physicist. And I did note the word fractal, you know, that you used in describing the, you know, describing Ohm. So you give some examples in your book about how science is beginning to have breakthroughs that support some aspects of the mystic vision. So what impact has your training as a mathematical physicist had on your spiritual path? Well, it has helped tremendously to see the material, to see God reflected in the material world and to see the infinite majesty as it plays out in the physical structure of the space-time realm. Um, So, you know, studying uh, physics, studying relativity theory and quantum theory in particular were very mind-expansive. And one key thing they teach is that things are not as they appear. Matter, for example, is mostly empty space. And if you look under a microscope, a sufficiently uh, accurate microscope, you see that the human body is, looks much like uh, the night sky, little points of light uh, surrounded by vast amounts of empty space. And so there's a lot of teaching in the physical sciences that actually accords with wisdom from the mystics down through the ages. So that was one piece. The other piece that I find very helpful and that I really spent some time on in this book was in this whole arena of uh, this new dimension of mathematical physics called fractal geometry, which is only uh, about 25 years old. And basically what that is, a fractal is a mathematical structure that contains self-similar replicas of itself on a smaller scale. And to give a simple example, you know about Russian dolls. You know how when you have a set of Russian dolls and you open the big one and you find a smaller one inside and then you open that and you find a smaller one. And you keep going all the way down to the little tiny one. Now that little tiny doll, if it's a good set, um, is painted the same way as the the original and has all the same features but on a much smaller physical scale. Well, this is the the structure of fractals, uh, fractal mathematics, and what I'm suggesting in this book is that the nature and structure of fractals is how uh, we can understand the mystical claim that the infinite is contained within the finite. You know, the mystics across the ages have made this proclamation that I and the Father are one, as Jesus says, or an al-haq, as the great Sufi saint Al-Halaj said, that I am the supreme reality. Or as the great Mahavakyas from the Upanishads, you know, Aham Brahmasmi, I am Brahman. I mean, these are claims that from the ordinary, you know, theological human thinking are just utter blasphemy. How can you claim to be one with the infinite supreme Godhead? That is ridiculous. And in fact, it is the truth. And so... The, the fractal mathematics is, gives a way of understanding how that could be because in the case of this mathematical structure, you have a miniature that's embedded within the original that's an exact replica, but it's billions of times smaller. And yet if you amplify it, it has all of the same in, infinite complexity, intricacy, and structure of, this, of the one that's a billion times bigger than itself. And so I'm saying that that is a metaphor That's a consequence, actually, of the structure of divinity, that divinity itself is structured in this way that we call fractals in mathematics, and that that is what the mystics were speaking of across the traditions. For example, one of the great metaphors that was used is called Indra's net. I'm sure you've heard of Indra's net, where you imagine reality. You know, reality is imagined as this great lattice of jewels, and if you look in the facets of any one of the jewels, you see all the others reflected there. So the idea is that each jewel contains them all. Each Mm -hmm. jewel is a miniature uh, microcosmic manifestation of the infinite macrocosm. Well, that image, Indra's net, was just a conceptual image that was used to convey a mystical insight, a realization of what I'm calling this divine structure, uh, this fractal structure of divine consciousness. And it yes, also explains- I really, I, I was just going to say, I really appreciated in the book the, the uh, photos that you have showing that, you know, of a fractal. So we only have about a minute left. So okay. I was wondering if you, um, if you w- would like to leave a bit of encouragement or inspiration with our listeners in this last little slice of time here. 
Yes, I think what I would say is that this fire, there's a secret fire of divine love that burns in the heart of all beings. And that the entire path is a function of connecting to that fire within yourself and fanning the flames. And as those flames are fanned through prayer practice, through repetition of the divine name, that flame does and will grow. It'll get hotter. It'll get brighter. It will burn away. It will bring painful uh, realizations of sometimes one's own weaknesses, one's own petty jealousies and, and envies and you know selfishness. Those things come up to be burned through in the flame. But the, the practice is to give oneself over to that inner fire within the heart. And as one does that, it basically transmutes one's entire being. And eventually one is united through the flame in your heart to the very flame in the heart of God. And the two flames become one fire. What a beautiful image to close with. Thank you so much for that. You've been listening to The Yoga Hour. It's been my pleasure to share this time with you. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, sitting in for Yogacharya O'Brien. We've been discussing divine love in transformation with special guest Will Keepen, the author of the book Belonging to God, Spirituality, Science, and a Universal Path of Divine Love. You can find out more about Will's book at the website pathofdivinelove.com. Dot com. Thank you so much, Will Keepin, for joining us. Thank you so much, Laura. It's a real privilege to be on your show today. Thank you. And please note that there's also a previous episode with Will Keepin in the Yoga Hour archive at unity.fm from September 13th, 2012, titled Divine Duality and Divine Wholeness, Reconciling Women I'm sorry, Reconciling Men and Women, Masculine and Feminine in Our Awakening World. The easy way to find it is to go to the Yoga Hour uh, program page at the archive at unity.fm and just enter in the search um, uh, box, uh, Will Keepin. So join us next week when Yogacharya O'Brien will be joined by Phil Goldberg, author of American Veda, for the program titled Dharma. Don't leave home without it. Discover how Dharma holds the key to right action and harmonious relationship with others in this timely conversation. The Yoga Hour is a service project of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, a meditation center in the Kriya Yoga tradition. You can find out more at csecenter.org. And please remember to subscribe to the Yoga Hour podcast at iTunes or Stitcher. I look forward to being with you again when Yogacharya O'Brien is away. Until then, remember, you carry your own healing and wholeness within you. Share your peace and joy with all that you meet. Bye now. Thank you for tuning in to The Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. Join us every Thursday morning at 10 a.m. Central, 8 a.m. Pacific, for practical, purposeful methods for spiritually conscious living every day. The Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. This program is brought to you in part by friends and members of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California, a ministry in the tradition of Kriya Yoga, the ancient science of self and God realization, www.csecenter.org. Request free literature by writing info at csecenter.org. At Metaphysical Romp 2, we demystify metaphysics to help you live life at a deeper level. One of our key principles is the recognition that you always have the power to choose how you respond to any situation. Instead of asking, why did this happen to me? A better practice, which aligns with the metaphysical principles we share, is to ask yourself the question, how can I use this for good? We promise you'll experience a transformation in thinking that will reap huge dividends as you master the art of living metaphysically. For new perspective and spiritual insight, listen to Metaphysical Romp 2 with co-hosts Rev. Paul Hasselbeck, Rev. Bill Holton, and Rev. Cher Holton. Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Central Time, here on Unity Online Radio.
With all the paths open to us, it's easy to feel lost sometimes. Although the darkness of doubt and confusion may make the best choices difficult to see, there is within each of us a light that helps to illumine our way. When I stop and let inner peace be my guide, I am surely led to good, no matter what the circumstance. The peace I feel within myself paves any path I'm on, making even the roughest roads more manageable. I've heard that it's not so much the destination that matters as the journey itself. So in the midst of deciding which way to go in life, I go within. Wherever I turn, the signs all point to peace. Peace can begin with me. To find a Unity Church near you, please visit our website at www.unity.org. Have you ever considered that everything you think, say, and do is a prayer to the universe? What would your life be like if you activated the power of yes? Join Reverend Beverly Molander and her exciting guests on Affirmative Prayer, Activating the Power of Yes, to find out how they activated the power of yes in their lives, their communities, or even the world. If they can do it, you can too. Listen to Beverly Molander and her guests live every Monday at noon central, 1 p.m. Eastern, on Affirmative Prayer, Activating the Power of Yes. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. This Christmas, recall the childlike joy of the holidays with The Wonder of Christmas, a new Advent booklet from Unity. Request or download your free booklet today at unity.org slash UOR Advent. The Wonder of Christmas supports your Advent journey with inspirational messages, scripture, uplifting stories, beautiful poems, and more. Download or request your free copy today at unity.org slash UOR Advent. That's unity.org slash UOR Advent. But hurry, Advent begins November 27th. Spirit of Recovery is the place where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth. Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D., interviews down-to-earth guests who share with you how they keep going and growing in recovery. Spirit of Recovery is the place to get practical tips and join in lively discussions on topics that matter to recovering people. This program welcomes everyone who wants to know more about recovery. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central Time on Spirit of Recovery, where we talk about what keeps you growing. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I will leave this world as it is. The world is full of voices, advertising, Television, politics, colleagues, family, and friends, all are too happy to tell us how to live. In all of that noise, it's easy to miss the one voice that matters, your own soul. What would happen if you could hear that voice? Imagine the clarity, confidence, and courage that would be yours and the life you could create. Join Janet Connor, best-selling author of Writing Down Your Soul, The Lotus and the Lily, and... Your soul wants five things. As she and her guests explore how to hear the call of the soul and create the soul-directed life. Live Thursday at 1 p.m. Central, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Go inside to find my God. This Christmas, recall the childlike joy of the holidays with The Wonder of Christmas, a new Advent booklet from Unity. Request or download your free booklet today at unity.org slash UOR Advent. The Wonder of Christmas supports your Advent journey with inspirational messages, scripture, uplifting stories, beautiful poems, and more. 
Download or request your free copy today at unity.org slash UOR Advent. That's unity.org slash UOR Advent. But hurry, Advent begins November 27th. Peace in the presence of conflict. Love in the presence of hatred. Forgiveness in the presence of injury. These words are easy to say. It's challenging, though, to live them in everyday life. After all, I can make my words and actions peaceful, but I have no control over the words and actions of others. That's true, but think about it. If you, then I, then others, one by one, responded in love in every situation, the effect would be like the wave you see spread across a sports stadium. It would go on and on, gaining momentum as it moved through the people around us. I can let peace begin with me. To find a Unity Church near you, please visit our website at www.unity.org. Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash divine 2022 